You're such a good boy. He's the bestest boy in the whole world. I love him. I'm Molly, and you're listening to Zetus Lapidus, a Mammoth Club original podcast. What up, Earthlings, and welcome back to Zetus Lapidus. I'm Alan. I'm Molly. And I'm Max. And this week, we're talking about Can of Worms, which is just one of the most wild viewing experiences I have ever, ever had. <laughs> we love a movie that says its own title multiple times. Yeah, but not until the halfway point of the film. So, like, for the longest... Anyway, we'll get there, but just, like, you're correct. They're just, like, Can of Worms. But up for a while, I was like, why... Why is this titled this way? Uh, for those of you who are new to the podcast, Zetus Lapidus is a podcast hosted by Molly, myself, Alan, and Max, where we watch every Disney Channel original movie or DCOM in chronological order and talk about them all in excruciating detail. And this week, as we mentioned before, we are watching Can of Worms and talking about that. Um, do you guys want to hear the very, very basic show info provided to us? Yes. It's a single sentence. It is a teen is visited by aliens after he broadcasts a message into space. Factually correct. All of those things occur very much in that order. Uh, this movie was released April 10th of 1999. Uh, and I have to ask, did either of you watch this movie as a kid? I think we talked about this last week, but did, did you guys ever watch this? Today was my first and only viewing of Can of Worms in my whole life thus far. Yes, yeah, same. I also don't have any desire to have a second viewing, if I'm being honest. Oh, we feel very differently about that. Oh, what? Yeah, I, I, I didn't watch this one as a kid. This is the first one of the movies that we have seen that I don't have any recollection of. Like, I don't, I don't think I remember You Lucky Dog in its entirety, but I definitely remembered parts of it. Um, this is the first one that I know is a raw first watch. Same. It, it, like, front to back, bottom to top is just such a new experience, right? What a, what a fresh first viewing of this wild coming-of-age tale. This is also the first time it's a first-time viewing for all three of us. Yeah. So that's exciting. We're all going we'll be... into this fresh babies. <laughs> fresh I, babies? I almost said virgins, but that felt weird. <laughs> I agree. Well, yeah, you know what? I mean, fresh but now you've that, said it. Now you've said it. So... Did you prefer babies you know, now no, that you know the alternative? Know. Honestly, both of them actually. are not like if, if I were to be like, hey, yeah, we, prior to today, we were all can of worms virgins. Like it doesn't sound good. Does fresh out the womb. Ooh, fresh, fresh out the can. Babies. Oh, there we are a worm out the can. We are a fresh we worm out the can. Little baby worms out of the can. Uh, Puppets. Pupas. Puppets. Is that Have what that I, is that the scientific like, term? I was trying to say that planet that that talking dog oh, is from. Oh yes, yeah. Okay. Puppets. Now, yeah. Now I get it. So again, this movie was released April tenth of nineteen ninety nine. So as we normally do, let us establish ourselves in the time period. The top song was "No Scrubs" by TLC. I don't want no scrubs. Scrubs, scrubs like I got a king. Can't get no get love, no love from, from me. me. Hanging out the passenger side of his best friend's ride. Trying to holler at, at me. Good song. Oh, that's a good song. What a, a banger. Way to We've go. We've had a lot time. of like really baller ladies R&B tracks at the top. Yeah. A lot of Brandy. Now we got 
Lisa Left Eye. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I have been pleasantly surprised by the by the song selection we've had these top weeks. But the top grossing film was a little film. I don't know if either of you have ever heard of this movie called The Matrix, starring one Keanu Reeves. I Is that like John Wick? Yeah, yeah, similar. Similar in, in form and fashion. It's John Wick, but in a laptop. I hate that movie. What? I tried to watch it one time. I would, thought it was very silly, and I didn't. I never watched it again. To be clear, you hate John Wick or you hate The Matrix? The Matrix. The original Matrix. Yeah, I couldn't get through it. Was it for me? I have a lot of thoughts about that, but I'll keep them to myself. I. What? No. We have to watch it again. You like Armageddon. That's a great movie. Enough to bring it up literally every podcast thus far. I can't help but notice you brought it up this time, Alan. So well, it's mostly yeah, I didn't in even like bring it up this time. Okay. Well, okay. All right. I'm bringing it up in disbelief, not necessarily in an I, attempt to connect you know, it to anything. I tried to get through it. I just it wasn't for me. I was like, what is Duke Kaboom doing with Elrond, the Elven Lord? Like, what is happening? Why do they wear trench coats? Are they vampires? Like, what's going on here? So that's my one and only time I attempted to watch it. I will say I attempted to watch it when I went close to when it came out. So it could be a thing where I just didn't understand what was going on. (laughs) I was like, what, 11? Well, so, I mean, I, I, I could give it another shot, I guess. Yeah, I feel like we should. I'll watch The Matrix when Max watches Titanic. You're never watching in The Matrix. That's fine by me. All right, well, like, why don't I have any? So, never mind, fine. So that was the top film in uh, April 10th of 1999, The Matrix. Uh, one of the top headlines, I think the top headline for this week, was that a federal judge found President Bill Clinton in contempt for his actions during his investigation of sexual misconduct with his intern, Monica Lewinsky. This is still going on. We started, like, this is a long time. This was a point during another one of the top news headlines of the week from this podcast. I I guess I didn't realize how lengthy the case was. If I've learned anything, it's that nothing happens fast in politics. Except yeah. for in the government of the You Lucky Dog Town. The most efficiently run local government we've ever seen. That's true. Aside from interference into private business, maybe. Maybe our government could take some lessons from the mayor in You Lucky Dog. The you off-screen know, I mayor. I think that our government would benefit from a, a government-wide viewing of You Lucky Dog. <laughs> I think it would be a very <laughs> eye-opening you know experience. Couldn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have we tried that yet? Yeah. (laughs) Couldn't be worse. You know what I mean? All past and present members of the U.S. government should have a viewing party of you lucky dog. It should be required viewing, honestly. Maybe it'll bring them together because they'll be so in disbelief of the film that it will unite people across the aisle to work together. Bonded by a shared experience of disbelief. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's going to take something, but I mean, maybe it's maybe you lucky dog is what does it. But in any case... That is our news headline of this week. So with that, are we all feeling like we're back April 10th of 1999? I'm feeling like I'm back. You're back. I'm back, baby. Since we're all there, let's dive in to Can of Worms, which we have an opening scene. We have a teenager, a new teenager, in his backyard setting up a laptop where he has a satellite dish sending a message to space. Truly one of the most chaotic opening sequences that I think we've had thus far for a DCOM. 
not a lot of context given. I'm just kind of curious for both of you. Again, this is the first time for all of us viewing this. I found myself incredibly perplexed, though actually I will admit engaged with this sequence. So, I mean, like coming in strong for a first time viewing for me. I don't know how you both felt about it. Um, as he typed his message about feeling perplexed by the idiocy of people on earth and that he needed to escape them and that he couldn't possibly be from the same place as them. I thought, you know, sometimes relatable content. I also liked the visible electricity as it, <laughs> as it traveled through the wires and ultimately the satellite beam that shot into space, a massive pillar of light, which of course we know is how satellites function. For sure. Surrounded by huge pillars of bright light from every satellite dish around the world. It's, it's incredible that we ever get to go to sleep. I, this is going to be a trend in general that I do love the visualization of technology in this movie. It is an excellent theme throughout is how they have decided. Welcome to 1999, everyone. <laughs> and the way this movie handles computers Oh, and dude. satellite oh it's so good i loved it all the way through yeah i like because it happened in xenon too where the only way to visit like physically show us that there was a virus in the computer was to like literally have the computer catch on fire yeah it became a bomb and i i do think that is a wonderful trope of the decom just like this is how science works yeah, it's, well, it's, and I, I think it's a trope of like the late 90s right yeah. is that computers are becoming a big part of our lives, but a lot of people don't have any understanding of how they function at all. And so the way they show it in TV and film now, you know, 30 years later when computers are part of our everyday life is just, it's ridiculous. And, and, but then I guess it's like, you know, they've never had to show a computer having a virus before. How do you do that in a way that the audience knows what's going on? I found myself as we were watching this and kind of watching the electricity spark, I was like, this squarely puts us in this moment in time, right? Like the internet is not ubiquitous. Computers are not something that they're, it's just starting to have, everybody's just starting to have one in their homes, right? Like it's not today where it's like, if you don't have one, what are you doing? The implicate, it's actually not even an implication. What Mike says, the main character that we view at this point says is, I don't belong here. And the implication is he's an alien or believes himself to be one right off the bat, which in a compelling scene, I'm not going to lie to you. It intrigued me. I, I did write actual alien or nerdy emo kid. Cause yeah, is it, yeah, it is it a one synonym? or the other? Turns out it was the second one. So what we do find out with the jump cut is that this is an event that takes place in the future. So we have to figure out when we're going to get here. We go two weeks into the past and we see him narrating a tale in his clubhouse, satellite intact, not emitting beams of light into the into the universe. Uh, and he's sharing a story. It looks like a, a, a web comic of today, but but, you know, placed in 1999. It's, it's very it's very much like this sort of biography, right? He's wanted to tell a story of himself as an alien to Gilbert. Yeah. Because Gilbert's yeah, back. Gilbert's the back. Gilbert from, Gilbert from Under Wraps. <laughs> He's made his reappearance. Adam Wiley. It's the community theater, right? It is. He's made it his is. way back on stage. Um, and I think really early on what we get established is that 
Mike just does not feel like he is a part of any social group. That I think a lot of what they're trying to hit and hammer home through a lot of these different events is that Mike does not feel any sort of sense of belonging. It's not helped by any of his relationships, both familial or otherwise, right? It's a very isolating experience. His dad just does, his dad infuriated me throughout the film, but it started off really early with him being like, you're going to be in the varsity, son. You're going to be playing the sport ball, even though you, you tell me out loud multiple times that you have no interest and also get your ass handed to you repeatedly. Yeah, it cuts pretty quick after he's telling the story to Gilbert, who I don't know what his name is in this movie. He's Gilbert to me forever. Yeah, Gilbert um, forever. Did you Gilbert want to know his and name Gilbert's little brother. And then, yeah, it quickly cuts to him playing football, which you can tell he hates. He catches the ball and then runs the wrong way and um, the other kids are mean to him on the team. He doesn't understand the game. He, like Alan said, like out loud tells his dad, I don't like playing football. And his dad's like, can't's not in our vocabulary. You can do anything you set your mind to. Like the dad is very much vicariously living through his son and like pressuring his son to be on the football team when in reality, that's not his jam. It's not his jam at all. I do have to just say, in this opening story he tells about this alien, it, we've just seen him reach out to the aliens, and now he's telling this story to Gilbert and Gilbert's little brother, Jay, the story about an alien that got put into his, his, the alien race was in danger, this one alien gets put in a pod, he gets sent to Earth, and so you sort of... You know, what they're setting up here is that he is writing his own story of where he came from, which they certainly just implied with the intro. But all I could think was, bro, that's just Superman. <laughs> like, all you did was you, like, literally the story of Superman is that Krypton, the planet Superman is from, is going to be destroyed. And so they put him in a pod and they send him to Earth and he is discovered there by an Earth family. The story that he writes and illustrates, which, I mean, commitment to him for making a whole storyboard, I guess, is just Superman with more genocide. And so I'm like, <laughs> bro, that's, that's not even an original story. You just ripped off one of the most famous comic book characters of all time. I also liked in the football scene when he gets knocked on his, uh, you know, knocked, uh, knocked down after running the wrong direction. His family comes and they stand over him. And his sister's like, is he dead? Can I have his CD player or his yeah. CD collection? And his dad goes in the most like uncaring tone. His dad goes, nah, he's not dead. Are you son? Yeah, you're all right. Like it's like, and, oh, and then yeah. he goes, yeah, you're not dead. And you will learn from your mistakes. It, like, and I was like, that's a threat. Yeah. A hundred percent. Just got kicked to the ground. And <laughs> also, he's clearly concussed. Can we all just say that? Well, yeah, he's he, very clearly concussed. He has like a vision of an alien and then starts shouting and everyone's like, oh, what's wrong with you? He but, should not go to sleep after this. Like he no, needs he to see a doctor and seek immediate medical attention. And they I don't also, help him up. They just leave him laying there. And then expect him to keep playing football. And then I also want to point out, this is also when we see, we don't know her name yet, but we see the hot girl, the hot cheerleader. Yeah. And you never know when, you, you know, when you see the hot cheerleader and Mike is kind of, you know, like oogling over her, you know, she's going to be the main love interest. And I always wonder in these kind of movies, is she going to be secretly a science nerd too? Or is she going to need a tutor? Those are mm -hmm. usually the two ways that this goes with the gr hot girl and the, and the and dorky the guy. Yeah. 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 
in this film, they started and then did consistently the slow panning zoom. Mm. That is a new feature. Uh, I, I didn't, I don't remember seeing it in Xenon or any of the other films prior because we got it a lot in the football scene when he gets knocked on his ass. And then we see it when you're introduced to Caitlin, the cheerleader. And it's just like this very slow, go fight win. And it's just, it, it is, it is a theme that continues throughout the, the remainder of the film. I wish it wasn't a thing, <laughs> but Hey, you know what? It got the job done. So we have established through these two scenes feels very much like an outcast. And that continues when he's actually, actually gets back to school. I believe it's the next day and is in a computer class. Oh, I actually think that he has a conversation with his dad before this right. about the football. And I wrote down one, uh, actually, I wrote down a few things. One, the sister for anyone out there who's a fan of the Lindsay Lohan Parent Trap remake. She's in that movie as one of the other campers at mm. whoa camp. that's and a deep cut i was like i know her and then i figured it out so you're welcome if you're like me and has to figure out what movie people are in two i don't understand why parents in these movies push their kids so hard to be athletes and not tech nerds because the odds of them being a professional athlete slim to none the odds of them making a buttload of money as a tech genius pretty good like, hey, Dad, Mike could have invented Napster. So, like, the son is speaking in all these tech words to his parents, which I also love that they just have him say, like, megabyte and RAM and, like, just, like, oh, various, yeah. like, vague tech terms. Like, I don't think anything he said actually makes sense, but it's just to establish that he's, like, this big nerd that knows all about computers and, and technology. But I just want to be like, hey, guys encourage him to be in the sciences and he will make a lot more money in life than as a flailing athlete. This is another one of those places where the depiction of technology is incredible because the reason they have that conversation is that the dad who clearly is doing day trading or uh, trade stocks for his job uh, turns on his computer and his stocks turn into a photo of a pig and it's established that it did that because the RAM was removed from the computer and therefore it turned into a photo of a pig. <laughs> and it yep. just, there's nothing about that that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it, and mm. I, I don't even know why they would choose that except that like maybe you know it shouldn't be a pig. Like it's just... So confusing the technology choices they made in this film as far as like the computer's not working. There's a pig on the screen. That is what happens. Yeah. Is that not what happens when your computer doesn't work? No. No. And <laughs> and like that's not even what Ram I, I mean, I agree. They're just putting in computer words, like you said, Molly. Like they don't care if it makes sense. It's just a wild depiction of it, of a computer. I have a I have a question. Is this movie why our parents don't understand computers? This movie is like the depiction of like every boomer when you have an office job asking you to change convert something from a word Can document you make this to PDF a PDF. A word document? Like this movie feels like that equivalent, and maybe maybe that's why our parents don't understand. This is not the same movie, but I just rewatched Susie Q, which is a 
Disney Channel premiere, not a decom. And there was a scene in that movie where they said, like, do you know how to use a computer? And this teenage kid's like, well, not well enough. You know, and like, it was just this era where computers were really new, I guess. And like, they were trying to bring them into film and TV because they were becoming more ubiquitous and now they were in the homes, but people didn't really know how they worked. And so you had to find ways to show that they were broken without like now we would just blue screen it. You don't need all that. Like people have computers all over the place, you know? So it's just like, it's, I actually think it's really fascinating to see how a television and movie depicts a new piece of technology and like how they navigate that in a way that will come across to the audience and the natural thing to do is turn it into a pig oh for sure right yeah naturally it's i think like the entire scene in this section mike gives a great joke you know does a tesseract exist in four dimensions as he's dropping all these fun computer he decides to drop some deep comic lore i did get that joke thank you mcu Hey, look at that. I think the biggest takeaway here is like this dad is 100% fulfilling the trope of like trying to force his dreams on the kid and live vicariously through the kid. You find out like the dad was a football player. So that's why he makes Mike go do it. Even though Mike says in this scene, like, I don't want to do this thing. Mike clearly knows more about PCs. So that's the entire thing of like in the home, let's establish, continue, like continue to establish the layers of this trope. For the second time in a row, we're not clicking up that single parent counter. Oh yeah. Both parents are present. That's true. hundred percent. I kind of want to disagree. I don't get the trope of like, you got to go live my dreams. Is he encouraging him to be a football player? Yeah. But like. He just seems like the overly positive, disconnected dad to me. I don't get the theme of like, you got to go live my dreams from this dad. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention to that part. But like, he just feels like he read a book on communicating with children and is doing what was written in the book. Because later when Mike's asking about like, was I adopted? He's like, you know what? We would have loved you anyway. Instead of just being like, no, bro, you're not. You know what I mean? Like he's, <laughs> he, he's the, he's the opposite of a Ralph, right? Yeah. Where it's like, I'm disconnected. I'm not going to try. He's like being, he read a book on empathy. He even says something about being empathic to the daughter. He read a book on empathy. And so he's just being like overly positive. And that's when, you know, in this scene, he says, you know, I don't want to hear the word can't. Mike's like, I didn't say the word can't. He's like, I want the word of the day to be anything. He's just like overly positive and empathetic. I, di- I personally didn't get the trope of go live my dream. Yes, he played football, but like I just got this guy's like, you can do anything you want. You can be the person you want to be. I read one book on parenting. <laughs> I got both. Like, I don't think he's the dad who, like, I barely missed out on the collegiate football scholarship because I broke my ankle in the last game. And you got, like, I didn't get that, which is a trope you get a lot where they're, like, really pushing the kid to live vicariously. I more got, like, hey, I played football and I had a heck of a good time as a kid. So why don't you play football and you'll also have a heck of a good time. But I also do think he read, like, Parenting for Dummies and it says, like, talk to your kids and this is his takeaway yeah. i don't i don't think he's a bad dad I no I, I don't think he's, he's i think he's just infuriating. missing the mark it's i think every decom parent is not great 
because that's part of what makes it relatable to children is yeah. that right. there's some perception of their parents being disconnected or saying shit that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And for this movie specifically, we are setting up that Mike feels disconnected from the world and like he doesn't belong. So he has to feel like his dad doesn't get him or understand him. And what better way to showcase that than I really like tech and science and my dad really likes sports. Right. And is the worst self-help speaker known to man. We have him leave the home, go into school. And I just had to take a moment to observe that while these outfits hit home, I remember owning a lot of these sweaters, a lot of the turtleneck underneath it. And it brought back some memories, mainly because I, I was colorblind and didn't know it as a kid. So all of my fashion was curated and chonky tennis shoes, baggy khakis, and a big sweater. That was just a blast from the past and they find themselves in a computer class where we get again max to your point to see one of the most infuriating examples of how hacking works where somebody takes a floppy disk from there we're introduced to the villain more more uh, in, in in person by the way at this point scott with more gel than hair and he takes a floppy disk out of his backpack sticks it into his computer hits one key and a message appears on Mike's computer across the damn room. Yeah, well, that's Not- local networking. Is that? I I had to take a second because I haven't used a floppy disk in some time. Because has uh-huh. anyone? And I was like, that can't happen, right? Like that's that, correct. That is that I, literally can't happen. If I put a floppy Accurate. disk in, it's not going to show up on your computer. That's correct. I did. I will say though. This might be my favorite scene in all of movies. <laughs> I think that this, this scene, because it's not just a, a, an element of hacking. This is a quick draw scene, right? Yes. They, 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 they the directed music. this scene like a Western where they like, yes. you hear the whistle and he reaches in and pulls out his floppy disk and then inserts it and hits the key. And then... I'm sorry. What are you doing? I'm trying Molly? to do that. She's trying to whistle the the the. the continue. I was going to wait till Max was done before I gave the quick. Draw. I was just trying to do some background whistling for Max, like some. Well, the great thing is that Molly's very good at whistling. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, so, one of her top skills. She'll be on the resume. So you know, to put behind me talking, that's I mean, a high you know high quality stuff right there. Um, <laughs> so go on, Max. <laughs> and then after he does his, of course, Mike pulls out his floppy disk and he inserts his floppy disk. Um, I loved everything about this scene from, from beginning to end, from the quick draw Western direction to what happened when every floppy disk got put in to the, to the computer teacher getting an email from the principal. Getting everything about it. It's so catfish. good. Yeah. The first floppy disk Mike pulls out, sends a message to the computer teacher's computer, and it's like, I've always loved you. Let's like rendezvous from the principal. In the teacher's lounge. They're about to go. And by the up. way, she is down <laughs> to fuck. Like she is, she <laughs> is DTF immediately. Like, she ditches the class. She's like, play amongst yourself, kids. Like, yeah. like I got to I, go. I've dick got a place to be right now. Like, I have an appointment. A dick appointment. Oh, man. <laughs> we have her get catfished and then immediately in a show of like one-upmanship of the hacking, which is just like sending messages to somebody else's computer, Mike sends a message to everybody's computer that shows a pig again Roll like maybe this is just the through line between the the ram scene. Yeah. Uh, 
a pig rolling in the mud and then turning his head around to reveal a beautifully clip art photoshopped image of Scott's gel face on a pig. And that causes the entire classroom to break out into raucous laughter, pointing at Scott, making fun of the jock. I'm not going to lie to you. I laughed out loud when I saw Scott's face on the pig. I thought it was really good. (laughs) I laughed out loud when Scott's friend sidekick turned to him and said, it's your face. (laughs) As if anyone needed that explanation. Oh no man. shit, Sherlock. I, I have a question for y'all. This happens a lot of DCOMs where and it's gonna happen again in this one, where like something happens to a character and all the other characters literally point and laugh at them. <laughs> Did that ever happen anywhere? Like I know kids are bullies, I know kids are mean to each other, I know kids play pranks on each other's, but the like over dramatic like pointing and laughing scenes always get me because i don't know that that happens i mean it did happen to me once in in a middle school class in our eyes i didn't do anything i well no i was a teenager and as every teenager does struggle with like you know acne because your hormones are all over the place so i remember i was sitting in a geometry class this was my sophomore year of high school at one of the many high schools i attended and I like made an offhanded quippy comment about something that I had read and somebody in the class thought I was talking about them and I was not. I had just like made an offhanded quippy comment. And this morning I had like, I was already self-conscious about my acne and she whips around. It was a girl. She whips around and goes, I wouldn't talk there, Rudolph. And I was like, oh, my, literally you could have fried an egg on my face. And everyone moment. pointed and laughed. Everybody in the room turned around, did the, oh, and then the laughter happened. I'm so sorry that happened. Yeah, shit happened. Are you still unpacking that? I would, I would be like <laughs> speaking to someone. <laughs> but like when you mentioned the turn and laugh, I was like, yeah, I've been through that once. Just once. Turn, it's not like a pervasive. Yeah, I think to me, it's the pointing that feels yeah. Oh, that's overt. Yeah. Like I, I, I think there were lots of moments in school. I don't have one in mind, but I think there were lots of moments where somebody would do something embarrassing and the whole class would laugh or like, you know, there would be some kind of like, Dis thrown and to yeah. your point Alan people be like oh shit oh, and then man. and then people would laugh but it's the it's the overt pointing yes. and laughing yeah. that feels unrealistic to me because it's like we all know who you're laughing at like you guys don't need to like <laughs> right. point to like hey, it's you by the way dramatically but it, it does happen again spoiler alert yeah I, to be to be very fair Mike gets pointed and laughed at frequently in this film I feel uh, bad for Mike yeah it's not good not good. I'm going to take a different direction here in just a minute. So, <laughs> okay. I, you know what I think is interesting? Mike is one of the many characters that is portrayed by a person named Mike. Yeah. We get that a lot. For some reason in DCOMs, I get, I don't know if they write the script first or they just, uh, and they name the characters or they just are like nerd kid and then whatever like nerdy actor they find, they just go with it it feels Uh, like this character's name was literally that they cast the actor and he walked in and they're like ah we don't ah shit we don't need to have a name for your character what what's your name he's like mike they're like cool mike um god we need a last name and somebody happens to walk by (laughs) with some like pillsbury doughboy stuff and they're like (laughs) 
Pillsbury, Mike. I mean, it's P. Tier Griffin all the way across, right? Like it is. Yeah. Like they they didn't. Nobody thought about this name. They're like Mike uh, Pillsbury. Well, but we hear Mike Pillsbury forty eight thousand times. We sure they, do. Oh my like, god, so, so much. much. But the real guy's name is Mike Shulman, and he, as an adult, co-founded a production company called Starry Night. And they actually put on a show at the West End in London called The Cripple of the Irishman. It was like a mm-hmm. huge smash hit. It sold out. It actually starred Daniel Radcliffe, who you guys might have mm-hmm. heard of, uh, Harry Potter, uh, mm-hmm. who's in films with Jason Isaacs. He plays his dad, oh, who's God. just Malfoy. <laughs> yep, it's happening. <laughs> you might know that uh, oh, Jason God. Isaacs is also in a little film called Armageddon. Uh-huh. A great, a uh-huh. classic film, uh, a phenomenal film, despite what the Rotten Tomatoes rating would tell you. Oh um, my God, it's not good. In Armageddon, he he yeah. co-stars with one Liv Tyler, yeah, who mm-hmm. is in Lord of the Rings, yeah. Alongside her, uh-huh. Sean Bean, he plays sure. uh, Boromir, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. and yeah. Um, he was play. also in a film called Flight Plan, uh-huh. alongside Erica Christensen. Who plays the cheerleader in this film? God. Isn't that interesting? I hate it so much. This is happening always now. Yeah. Yeah. Just I just I found that to be one little fun fact that did not yeah, take me fifteen I, minutes to I come. One fun fact did. that is like that is fifteen fun facts that have to be yeah, all connected to you each other. Found that to be a very fun fact. Fun little fact. Jeez Louise. You've been Armageddon. The part of the show where Molly by no one's urging has found yet another way this decom can be tied to the smash hit Armageddon. Don't tell her to stop because she won't. So after the point and laugh scene with Mike. It cuts back to him in the in his clubhouse. It's not I don't know. It's treehouse, not in a tree. Clubhouse, with Gilbert and a younger person who we find find out later to be Gilbert's younger brother. Once again, sharing in stories, uh, and Mike's younger sister comes in and is like, "Hey, Caitlin is here, and she is in your room waiting for you, my dude." And they are in disbelief. They're like, "No shot in hell." Is Caitlyn here? Caitlyn is popular. She is a cheerleader. She is she is assumed to be with Scott. No shot. And then Gilbert utters a very intelligent line. And I felt, I was like, way to go, Gilbert. Where he's like, but what if she is here and you leave her waiting? Yeah, that is an intelligent line. But what if she is here? Genius. Incredibly smart. <laughs> so big brain Genius. of Gilbert. 3,000 IQ. the script said she's here? I've just read it here, Mike, <laughs> but in Mike, the script. But Mike, I read it right here that she actually is here. That it, like, your next scene is with her in your room. She's on the like, call sheet. Yeah. She was here today. She was in makeup this morning. Yeah, I saw uh, her earlier. Yeah. This fast motion cut of Mike running when he's not running, it's very much a power walk that they fast cut to make it look like he was running. Just inside up to his room where we begin to have the relationship between Caitlin and Mike sort of blossom, which is, you know, how all love blossoms through a montage. We love a montage. That's true. That is how one falls in love. Yeah. Through in this specific montage, 
is because Caitlin needs assistance decorating for the is it Halloween dance? It's the Halloween it's dance. The Halloween dance. For the Halloween dance. We get a we get a great series. What was your favorite clip of their Halloween dance decoration montage? Well, I, I think it's important to establish that she says, I don't have a big budget for the mm-hmm. I'm chairing the dance. I it's don't like have the a third budget. She says, yeah. Um, but I thought your prank was freaking hilarious. So if you could help me do something real sweet for the dance, I'd appreciate it. So I would like to say in my, is she going to be a secret science nerd or is she going to be, need the tutor? I think it's more of the second one in the trip. It's she needs the help of the The nerd kid. Uh, I think my favorite montage piece was when they had like a skeleton on a, like a a plastic skeleton thing on this weird, like they're making a weird turntable that's going to be the DJ um, and it's going to have lights and music and everything. And he starts flicking the skeleton head and she thinks that's super funny. So he punches it in the face. <laughs> he sure does. <laughs> he sure does. That's my favorite part. Hauls off and decks a rubber skeleton. Yeah. What about for you, Max? What was your favorite montage I, I liked moment? the scene where they had hung streamers that were hanging down. And as they go to drop a bunch of the streamers, from the top, some girls walk by and it falls in their face and it was hilarious. And they're like, <laughs> they laughed. God, it was I, so funny. We got you with those streamers. LOL. Classic. <laughs> I have to say, well, both of those moments are freaking incredible. If you've noticed in any scene that was not the two of them decorating and there were jocks in the background, the jocks were always pissed the entire time they were Mm. pissed or in disbelief their facial expressions like specifically there's one when they're walking down the hall together like animatedly chatting about the decorating that they're gonna do today and then behind them you see the entire like popular kid crowd which based upon the population of the schools most of the kids shows up behind them and they're like what's going on this they're learning from their xenon but the back but the background audio what's happening what's i can't believe it this is crazy and it was, to me, I just found that as like a bit of chef's kiss of narrative narrative device. Mm. The jocks have taken notice and they don't like a nerd mingling with the popular person. So that was for me, the, the a beautiful sort of bow on top of the whole thing. For me, the bow on top is the uh, Main Street Electrical Parade soundtrack that they This movie, particularly like what happens after the montage, They've had such a good time together. Caitlin is like, I hear you're really good at telling stories. Oh, yeah. Why don't you tell me a story? And I was like, is this a nerd's wet dream? Like this, <laughs> this movie was written by a nerd. This is their fanfic. Oh, yeah. This is this is some for sure sweet little nerds fanfic where he wrote that he embarrassed the bully in front of everyone in the school, and then he got the girl to ask for him to help, and he impresses the girl, and then she likes him so much that she wants to hear his fanfic. She wants uh, to hear about his D and D game. Yeah, like this is <laughs> this is the ultimate nerd wet dream. Just the fact that like, it was already so tropey of her asking for help with the decorating and they had fun. But when she looks at him and she's like, I hear you're really good at telling stories. When are you going to tell me one? I was like, all right. Well, and Molly, that's the perfect lead in because uh, it's while he's introducing that story. We were on a spaceship. It was one mile long and two wide. And she is captivated. Sure. I mean, with that, that description. That Scott Schreiber walks in. Yeah. And 
he uh, asks her, the head cheerleader, to join what we can assume is other football players or cheerleaders to go to dinner. She is willing. And then Mike's like, I don't want to go. And he's like, you weren't invited. And Mike unloads on him. And then Caitlin decides to stay with Mike. And it was at this point that I wrote in my notes, is Scott Schreiber that bad? Is he actually the villain of this story? I think that DCOMs do a very bad job of making the villain that villainous. And sometimes they just make the hero rather (laughs) villainous. And um, I would like to just quickly go through some of the bullet points. The first time we see Scott Schreiber be a dick is after Mike fails to perform in a football game and Scott being a competitive football player is upset about that. That seems reasonable to me. Then, um, He sends (laughs) one message to just Mike on his computer to which Mike turns around and humiliates him in front of the entire class, sending an embarrassing story to literally everyone. Scott Schreiber (laughs) sends one isolated thing to Mike. Mike (laughs) openly humiliates him in front of everyone, leading to uh, him being pointed to laugh at. Then post humiliation when scott comes into the gym and is like caitlin would you like to come to dinner with me mike's like well i'm not gonna go and he's like actually you know i I, like you just humiliated me in front of the whole class i i I actually didn't want to invite you mike then says well i don't have all of the time you have in your life uh scott to go eat all your greasy hamburgers so that you can go from half back to full back um got him So I, you know, he like, we don't, and, and by the way, we don't need you to do this decoration. All I could think was like, I don't think Scott has done anything (laughs) that bad. And Mike is kind of being a dick right now. So I mean, I, yeah, it's clear they don't get along. Mike is clearly written to be the nerd, but he's not that bad of a bully, I guess is what I'm saying. I, I will agree with that. I will agree with that. I'm also going to go uh, back to my point that a, a nerd wrote this script yeah. because in addition to the cool girl loves me now, the cool girl wants me to tell her a nerdy story about a spaceship, you can also add, I just wrecked the captain of the football team with right. my sweet burns because nobody's that smooth. The, he He had a whole speech prepared of like, going half back to full back first of all he doesn't understand football so he wouldn't normally be able to make that joke oh no and no. like so but i just wanted to add that into the nerd wet dream checklist i think it all adds like it's it's all part of it right which is that like even the bully in the nerds wet dream is is not actually better than you right like I, yeah their biggest criticism of him is that he's a perfect kid yeah that's yeah. literally the criticism of scott is like oh you're great at sports and you're a computer whiz and you're like and you're attractive and you're yeah god forbid and literally like they that comes into play later as well because like when the perfect kid trope like is a recurring thing but in the immediate sense we continue the nerd wet dream with mike and caitlin having their conversation where caitlin decides to stay mike is fumbling over his words and caitlin looks at him and incredibly sexually says you should stop speaking she does say that she wants his tongue down her throat and i thought they were gonna (laughs) bang but 
instead she's like let's go get something to eat and i'm like that is not where i saw that going it i was, think let's go get something to eat was code for a let's bang oh that's like want to go watch a movie a hundred they were netflix and chilling yeah that's <laughs> oh, okay 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 um yeah let me be clear i was a nerd i'm not same i'm not insulting Same. the nerd wet dream right here i'm proud of whoever wrote this that they get to live yeah, out their fantasy <laughs> their middle school freshman year for sure uh, fantasy is being played out for the entire world and i'm proud of them yeah good for them um i i need to point something out about the next scene it is my favorite thing i noticed in the entire film go on we go to the dance it's the halloween dance that caitlin and mike have set up everything for it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be wonderful did you two notice the most important couple together at the dance? I, I did sure notice did. this. I did notice I this. The teacher did. and the principal are together yep. at the dance. The catfish worked. It worked. Mike set up love. Uh, I'm so proud of him for that. But the other thing I noticed about the dance is that there are 35 people here. <laughs> like there's, like the, there's, there's no one at this dance. Like it is sparsely populated. Yeah. Oh, but I, I just noticed that the teacher and the principal were dressed up in costume together, walking together, dancing together. And I was like, wow, they really did find love in a hopeless place. True. True. The catfish worked. The moral of the story is catfish people. I think so. This is when things go wrong, Right. The jocks, the perfect kid, Scott Schreiber, has sabotaged the turntable of Halloween fun to really just, like, have bad tech issues. There's nothing, to your point, Max, there's really no personal attack on Mike here. It's not as if they're they're turning this turntable to, like, if he's a tech whiz, he could have coded to be like, Mike sucks, and the whole thing could have been directed at him. It's just having bad tech issues. And then Mike begins to freak out. And I was like, wow, this seems a bit overly dramatic. It seems like the tech might have just gotten away from him. And if Mike was as smooth as he was to deliver the halfback to fullback line, he should have been smooth enough to say, like, I don't know what happened. My computer glitched and have it right off, right? Like, even if the entire thing goes up in flames and it gets sprayed with the fire extinguisher by the computer teacher, right? Like, it feels to me that if Mike is so smooth, he can tell off Scott Schreiber. Well, I don't think he knows that Scott did it. Scott, I, Scott and his friend are like hiding. Exactly. No, I think that's my point is that he's able to like he should be like my computer just messed up. I think I, he's he's under stress. He's got everybody around him. But I think everyone, that this is this is the other thing and laughing again. They're, yeah, they're there's a lot of pointing and laughing. <laughs> there's literally pointing and laughing. But now everyone has weird Halloween costume fingers to do it with. It's funny, though, because this scene is an, another one where I thought about, like, the the Schreiber character. Seemingly, they don't do this if Mike's not a dick to him a scene before. I didn't get that there was this intention to mess it up before Mike was a jerk. They came, they asked Caitlin to come and, like, go to dinner. It's Caitlin's thing. I think it's because Caitlin doesn't go and Mike's a dick to him that he does this. But this is the type of thing that in another movie, the hero character would do to like get one over on the bully, right? Like that, like the, mm -hmm. if it was another movie, like they would, the hero character would like, you would, there would be a comical scene where like the dopey characters thing started spinning really fast and it would cut to the hero and they'd be like laughing at the ridiculousness. It's just so interesting the way this thing's put together. Yeah, I agree. And I also, yeah, this hits home the fact that Scott is a tech nerd, too. Yeah, because like he would have to be a tech nerd to hack into this. And like, I agree, he didn't take it as far as having the, the music say like Mike sucks or whatever. And maybe that's because it's on the Disney Channel. It, it just proves that he's smart, too. 
Yeah. Yeah. Even with the pointing and laughing, right? Like if the, it, it feels like that's exacerbating a situation where I think Mike had just been like, well, my computer and flubbed he, up. And he dramatically runs out of the phone. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. And, and we come back to the intro scene, right? We've now traveled the two weeks. We come back to the intro scene. We play it again. But this time, I loved this bit of like monologuing he did where he says, Will someone just listen for once? And all I could think was like, <laughs> bro, the hot head cheerleader just recognized your ability to make cool tech, asked you for your help, included you in the setup for the dance. Don't tell me you don't feel seen, my dude. Like, you've just been listened to. Yes. Not, not to mention the fact that your bestie and his little brother come over to your clubhouse every day to listen to you tell bullshit stories that you stole from Superman. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. it's the entire thing feels so, like, it is melodramatic to a point that is just absolutely insane. Because, Mike, if he had eyeballs and any sort of social awareness would recognize that he's like, oh, shit, I'm starting to be included. I'm starting to have a group of people who are my people. But instead chooses the route of nobody understands me and I must express my dissatisfaction with my current state by sending a message into the universe telling them that everybody else is an idiot and I am a superior intellect and they should come and rescue me. Signed, Mike Pillsbury. I and love this emo voice. Thank you so much. Yeah, that, that, your emo voice is like... Well, when I was writing my Zangas, that was the voice in my head, so... Yeah, there's... Wow, that, that was the voice in your head in your Zangas. <laughs> I'm so upset, well... Oh, no. Were you, were you penning your letters in, like, 1845? <laughs> no, Father. <laughs> I, you will find that it is a rainy day this evening. Not literally rainy, just the sort of emotional turmoil that falls upon my own countenance. Right? It's getting like, worse. <laughs> um, I, I just think it's so strange to write a movie about not being included and feeling like you don't belong and then take your main character and make him a part of the football team who gets hit on (laughs) by the head cheerleader who plans the dance and who has a clear best friend that hangs out in his clubhouse every day. What about that makes me feel bad for this main character? There's nothing about him that feels like he doesn't get included. I would also like to say that, and this is probably from an adult point of view versus like a kid. Cause I do feel like no matter what, as a kid, you'd feel like your parents don't understand you. Sure. And sure. His dad is trying to push football on him instead of listening to his own hobbies. But generally speaking, his parents are pretty good to him. Like yeah, very involved. Oh yeah. Like the scene before the dance, they're like talking about his dance and complimenting. He's like, he's making a glowing, cummerbund and they're like complimenting his even his sisters like complimenting his tech work on his tuxedo and anytime anything happens his parents are there for him it's not like brink where his dad and him just like have a horrible relationship like his parents are involved and trying mike the character feels so unrelatable and out of place he is not acting in any rational way that somebody would be acting in this instance with this network of people supporting him like it it was just 
that I think is why it didn't resonate with me. I was like, that this is kind of cool and really tropey. I was like, Mike doesn't make any sense to me. My favorite is that when he's all sad because of what happened at the dance, again, the parents are very like, are you okay? Can we help you with anything? And the sister's like, do you want to help me with my, my word problems? Because like, he's a nerd. He, in the opening scene, was like helping his sister do her homework. She's like, I have a cool word problem you can help me with. And she starts reading it out to him. And he goes... I've lost my will to solve. <laughs> what a, I did love that line. That's a, that's a Billy Shakespeare line right there. I've lost that's my so will good. to solve. So we have this scene play out. He sends the message into the universe. Lightning strikes. This is one thing that we didn't necessarily make clear in the opening sequence is that lightning strikes the satellite, right? Like there is, it's electricity happening and then lightning strikes the satellite. I actually didn't know this until Mike mentioned it later, but it's important to bring up here. And then ultimately he goes back to school where the kids are following into the sort of like mean high school kid trope are kind of doing the, the hush, hush point laugh giggle at the person who ran out dramatically. Um, he tries to interact with Caitlin poorly. I might add just like walks up to Caitlin and stands in front of her, like a lump on a log. And it's like, and she just goes, what? <laughs> yeah. It's like, awkward. A normal, a normal reaction to like, if, if I just like walked up and stood in front of you and stared at you with my mouth agape, nobody's going to like try to strike up an engaging conversation. They're going to be like, are you good? I think Caitlin had a normal reaction. And he takes this as like, I'm going to become more and more insulated because nobody understands me. So after school, Mike comes home and waiting for him in his yard is a doggo. Yeah. A doggo that I like to call exposition dog <laughs> <Yeah>. narrator dog <laughs> plot device oh wait that's such like do you know so so max i think it was in halloween town you talked about how they bring in like a more mature actor to kind of like progress the story so now uh-huh. they're using a dog do you know who the, do you know who voices exposition dog malcolm something malcolm mcdowell and i realized that none of you both are like i don't know who that is I but do know who that is if you look him up he is accredited i'm pulling it up right now he was in A Clockwork Orange, Star Trek Generations, Time After Time, Halloween. I mean, he's been in a lot. And he's the voice of Exposition Dog. He is Barnabas. Barnabas the Dog of Exposition. From Planet Puppus. Which is, you know, a clever pun because he's a puppy. A puppy dog. With just a the worst collar I've ever seen. Because it had a mouth on it? Because the lips moved in really unsettling ways. I will say this is not the last scary mouth tongue lip situation in this film we're gonna get a lot of that the more creatures we meet from out of space i think it's the one that i like the most of them all i will say of of the alien mouth situations this is the least unsettling one i I could fully agree uh but yeah barnabas is for sure the best character in this movie and i say one of my favorite decom characters of all time wow i just high praise he's a dog so that is immediately lots of points Mm -hmm. he's very cute doggo Mm -hmm. and he's uh he's funny because he can he's like kind of proper like he literally the guy try mike tries to pet him and he's like i don't like creatures beneath me pet me and i was (laughs) like i also have that policy (laughs) (laughs) did you also catch that Barnabas represents a non-profit in space, which I think is like also really neat. Like the, the non-profit dog from Planet Puppets shows up first to be like, you've contacted, this is the exposition is that we get kind of Reader's Digest version is we got your message. This tells us that Earth is no longer protected under like the lower intelligence life forms act. Hilarious. Of the galaxy. 
And now we recognize you, Mr. Sender of this message, are the higher intellect. And since you want to be out of here, if we get you out of here, that means that maybe we can make an argument that the rest of the rest of Earth can still be protected as long as you leave. And he's like, I appreciate you coming all this way, but I don't believe you exist. Okay. He's there, bro. Barnabas the talking doggo. He sends Barnabas away. And then he's uh, he's like, I'm just hungry. I need a little snack. My blood sugar's low. So he gets a cheeseburger and a corn on the cob. And he... (laughs) (laughs) A normal meal. I don't know why that's funny to me, but you sang it back in this moment. I didn't think anything of it when he brought the plate in, but now you just said, and it is kind of a wild thing to just produce. It's like a quick snack. (laughs) A snack of root. A full cheeseburger and a corn on the cob. Cause like I know me when my blood sugar's low, I like grab a Gatorade and like a piece of fruit because it's got to get that quick intake, you know. But yeah. he has a full meal, yeah. and he goes up to his computer. Gross goo slime starts dripping on the food, and then out from this tube in his ceiling pops out a booger. <laughs> it's a booger. A booger falls out of the sewer. It is I think what you mean to say is Dan Newland pops out of the ceiling <laughs> because that's actually what happened. I, I referred to him as a Muppet and Flubber had sex and it went horribly wrong. Yeah. I hate, I hate him. It is, yeah, I do too. Is, he calls himself the bomb or the boom. Boom. And I hate his human denture mouth. I hate his eyes. I hate his wide nose. And I hate that he wants you to be injured in a car accident. Like he makes me so uncomfortable that he is he is Dan Newland, which is a joke only for people that live in or around Orlando. But God bless. Like if you if you have been injured, you or a family member have been injured in an accident, call the boam at 407 Newland. Like God, it's he like, made me uncomfortable was, in a very ugh. physical way. I was like viscerally. There was a point where I was actually nauseated when he started eating the burger, like chomping down on the burger, sucking the corn kernels off the corn on the cob. Because I don't know if you saw it afterwards, the corn on the cob was smooth. Yeah, meaning he sucked the kernel, like he Hoover vacked the corn off. And it's important to note that while this disgusting creature who does identify himself as a lawyer which i don't know what kind of commentary they're trying you to would make. call me a lawyer uh while he's eating in the most offensive fashion caitlin calls and is trying to say like i'm sorry for what happened at the dance let's start over we were having such a good time and instead of just being like hey can i call you back in a second yeah. stays on the phone <laughs> he stays on the phone with her And, like, this weird alien booger is, like, eating and burping and farting and, like, goo's going everywhere. And he's like, oh, this smells disgusting. This is gross. And so Caitlin is like, are you talking to me? Are you saying I'm disgusting and gross? And then obviously she gets mad and is like, well, never mind. I'm sorry I called and hangs up on him. But, like, just, bro, just tell her you'll call her back. Yeah, two quick things on that. Number one, he eats corn off the cob and then it pops into popcorn, which (laughs) I don't know if you know how popcorn works, but cooked 
corn kernels do not become popcorn in any universe, this or alien. But <laughs> two, um, <laughs> when Caitlin comes... I just- <laughs> Yeah, well, we broke her. We finally broke her. I just realized it's cooked corn. <laughs> yeah, it's a cooked corn on the cob, and he eats it, and from his pores explodes popcorn. I, I, I saw all that happen. I understood what was happening, but I didn't stop to think about the fact that it was cooked corn. <laughs> It is truly insane. <laughs> this is and what, like, oh, what the and and the thing that's again when Caitlin calls, okay. Not only does she say, "Hey, I called to say I'm sorry about what happened at the dance." I called because I think we had a good thing going, and I want us to be friends again. She also says, "I've decided it must have been sabotage." In the A plot of this movie, there's no conflict at all. This kid's life just works out all the time. <laughs> like, he, he blows it with the head cheerleader at the dance because somebody embarrasses him. He doesn't have to work to get her back. She calls him I'm and says, "Nerd wet dream." And says, "I I'm sorry. I really like you. I want us to talk more." And then just has a moment of ESP where she realizes you didn't mess up. It was sabotage. It had like, to be. There's no conflict in his life at all, which is why the idea that he needs to reach out to aliens is even more absurd. Yeah, well, now he can eat his weird alien popcorn. Yeah. But the, <laughs> and the weird alien does say, you've opened up the can of worms. This is the first time we hear that. And you open the can of worms. I love it when a movie says the title. It's amazing. It makes me giddy every time. Yeah. Uh, so Mike tells the booger that he does not want any part of his lawyer scheming. And the booger gets sucked back up through the drain pipe. Mike cleans. Gilbert comes. Mike tries to introduce and explain this situation to Gilbert. Gilbert is naturally a little bit skeptical and think that Mike looks insane. But also, to be fair, Mike, as good of a storyteller as he is, does a really shit job of explaining what has been happening to him. And we just get a a whole host of like, all right, well, since the aliens have come for me, I gotta go. Nobody here gets me. It's time. Barnabas comes back and is like, well, I'm here to see if you'd like to go to space. And he's like, you know what? I would love to. Nothing more. Gil- I've tried to explain this to Gilbert. Gilbert doesn't get it. Yeah, I did one half-ass attempt to reach out to someone. Didn't work out for Didn't, my favor, so I guess I got to leave this planet. I guess I got to deuce out. And he's like, you know what, Barnabas? I'll be right back. I just have to tell one person that I'm going. Not his mom. Not his dad. Not his sister. Caitlin. That's right. It's got to say goodbye. Got to say goodbye to Caitlin. Because you know what? She reached out to him first. And he fucked that up hard. He did. So now he's got to tell her bye. So he goes to, on his way to Caitlin's house, and he senses himself being followed, right? Like, two eyeballs pop up. Oh, watched. Yep, that's the one. Well, I think it's important to note, he sees Caitlin, and he's like, I want to talk to you, I want to apologize. And she's like, I'm coming down. This is your last chance. 
And then the alien follows him to Caitlin's house. And then the alien displays a power of being able to freeze humans. Did you catch that? He sprinkles pixie dust and Caitlin is frozen in time. And this feels like too much fucking power to be introduced willy-nilly in this film. I, what? I, I'm sorry. I was too busy looking at the alien shoes. Uh, yeah, yeah. The loafers. <laughs> the penny loafers. Yeah, the loafers. And the, socks and the frilly socks. Has. A la Michael Jackson. Yeah. <laughs> in, it's just like a big potato. Billie Jean. I got to be honest. The, the freezing the human didn't even register on my radar. <laughs> like I, like I didn't even, it didn't even ping on my radar for and the you, weird things that were happening in this scene. You know who has the same shoes? Is Sunny Eclipse at Cosmic Rays <laughs> in the Magic Kingdom. I swear to God, has the same exact little shoes. And I know that because I always look at Sunny Eclipse's feet when I'm in Cosmic Rays because they don't touch the ground. So he like kicks them about like a little child. <laughs> I just have to wonder, Sunny Eclipse is an alien. This guy's an alien. Is there like an alien shoe broker that oh, yeah. is like, is there like a shoe store in space that is where all the aliens go get their fat? The alien cobbler. Yeah, I have, to, I have to assume there is one. And they only they, they exclusively make penny loafers. <laughs> yeah, it's all the rage. All I thought about, so this guy, his character, so far we've met Barnabas the dog, who represents a nonprofit. We've met Dan Nguyen, I mean the bum, the lawyer. And now we're meeting an agent who has come to pitch that Mike become a new, like, intergalactic movie star. I wondered to myself if this character was just the writers. <laughs> because his pitch is like, so you are going to be a kid on Earth who reaches out to aliens, and then they come and they find him and they tell his story because he doesn't feel like he belongs. I'm like, yeah, that's the plot of the movie. Yep. And he's like, and... Then after your story gets told, it'll lead to a weekly TV show and we can go on forever. Episodes never ending about your adventures in space. And I was like, were they trying to set up a weekly television show oh, based well, on can of worms? A weekly can of worms episode. A weekly can of worms. A weekly worm. Every week, will. a new worm. Crack that open a new can. This character is the writer's in the movie, trying to plant the seed that this movie would be a good influence for television. Like, mm, very wow. puzzling. Very puzzling character. Wow. This is a, an Inception moment. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Yeah. All of these aliens are like solicitors yeah, of some I, kind, though. Every alien that we have and will meet is a solicitor of some kind. Yes. I, I didn't know if the writers were trying to make some kind of statement about certain career paths. Like, mm -hmm. they very clearly don't think highly of either lawyers or agents. That's right. <laughs> Literally all of these aliens skeeved me out except Barnabas. This one did freak me out, too, because I don't know why all the aliens, at least the ones we've met so far have um human denture teeth as max oh, oh, their human denture teeth it. so much they make me uncomfortable the the sort of crux of this scene is that yeah barnabas's mouth collar is not looking so bad anymore is it oh i just said it for i'm me telling you the, the barnabas mouth collar is the is the most appealing one <laughs> yeah of the bad it's the least bad you are correct so the the sort of crux of this scene is that 
On top of everything else about this agent, he also has the very convenient power of being able to freeze people in time or isolated freeze parts of someone's body, which he displays freezing Caitlin in time and then freezing Mike's part of his body. And then third power, transporting Mike across the street via pixie dust where they have this conversation. He says Mike grabs him by the eye stalks and is like, I don't want a part of this, sir. And so the agent leaves and we are we cut to Caitlin coming back to and seeing Mike not there. Yeah. That, Cementing that relationship. Mm-hmm, his last chance. Cementing that relationship is over. Well, well, that was now. his last chance. Until his next chance. When in the next scene, <laughs> she reaches out to him again because there's no <laughs> conflict in his life. So it, <laughs> I do. I, this, you're bringing up very good points because they are the way they open it and the way that they portray Mike. It wouldn't be that hard to make him a kid that is left out. It would be so easy. Like that's most teen movies is that there is a nerd kid that doesn't have any friends or that isn't popular and that the girls don't like him or whatever like but they literally do the opposite of that and then still have him be whining how no one gets him we cut back he's at his family's dinner table he asks the question am i adopted which is just and his parents have like a a very kind response to what could be considered a pretty hurtful question we end up cutting back out to the uh, to the clubhouse that is filled with more nightmare fuel, more gross aliens, and a very all o- kinds of aliens. Did you see the one up front, the super sexualized floaty octopus fingernail yeah. girl alien? Yes, of yeah. course I saw her. It, How, like, I'm sorry, you think that there is a world where I watched this movie and didn't <laughs> see her. She was, was at the forefront of this scene. So I don't Ugh. know how I could have missed her. I, you could have closed your eyes in this scene, which is something that I was tempted to do. It was oh, all man. bad. I liked the Billy Mays. Uh, <laughs> oh, sure. The, the Billy, Billy Mays, Mays alien was... Or the was, Sham Wow guy, yeah. It could, it can slice it, it can dice it, it can grind any vegetable. So that guy wants him to be an infomercial guy. The, yeah. the sexy alien wants to date him. Yeah. Oh, she's a dom. She's a dom for sure. She wants Mike to be her sub. Wow. Oh, I thought, oh. wow. And that is, a, did a, you not listen to what she was saying? That's not, said, that like, that's not to yuck any yum. That is literally like uh, what I'm picking up that, from that scene. No one's yucking any sex. yums here. I'm just saying I, I thought she just wanted a boyfriend. I didn't realize she was looking for a sub. She was like, I'm going to take you all over the place and I'm going to make sure you see things. And I was like, whoa, whoa now. Maybe she's just a tour guide. I have a lot oh, of questions you know what? about how that would work. <laughs> she's tour guide Barbie. She's just a head with tentacles. Oh, we, we didn't see under the yeah, head. Yeah, we didn't see under the head. Ew. Yeah. We, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. okay, I have an important question. All right. Okay. Or the back of the head. Oh. I mean. <laughs> oh, God. She had a mouth. So. She had a mouth. Oh. I mean. <laughs> and this is when people are... Uh, unsubscribing to our podcast and unfollow um (laughs) it's the mermaid problem you know what i mean like top half fish bottom half mermaid or top half bottom half half fish fish. (laughs) (laughs) i don't remember what order this happens but at some point all the aliens leave yeah they they get scared because the big alien big baddie is coming thode the thode which like who wrote that that's a dumb word thaddeus toad combined thode i don't 
I hope that's not why it's called that. I didn't think of it until literally this moment. But I my, think they just wrote Toad and put a letter in it. I think, so, I think there was a reasonable. typo and they just I think they were it. like, so we have a frog costume. <laughs> Leftover from Halloween Town. No, that, that shit's been there since under wraps. That's they had to, it, like, it was in Marshall's bedroom and under yeah. wraps. No, okay, here's my question. All the aliens flee. Oh, but I mean, I guess first of all, like Gilbert and Caitlin see them. So now they believe him that there's aliens. But yeah, all the right. Again, Caitlin shows convenient. up. Can, Caitlin shows up to his house and is like, I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to talk to you. You're so confusing. You and it, it, she's making all the effort giving him that wasn't his last chance. That Here's another one right here. Yeah, she's really, really given him a lot of credit but yeah all the aliens run and at this point we have established that when the aliens show up they have like a portal that they use to get to earth yeah the gate yep. and it is themed to whatever that alien likes is. or yeah. does so like the girl head alien goes into like a makeup compact barnabas it goes into a dog house the the tv billy mays guy goes into like a little tv what would your portal be shaped like Ooh, an interesting question. Yeah. What do you think speaks to your essence? And that's what you would travel with from this dimension to another one. And you got to think of it like it kind of announces your arrival. This mm. is kind of what the first impression people get of you is your portal shape. What is it going to be? Mm-hmm. Well, and it does need to be a portal, right? Yeah. I think all of those, it can't be just anything. It must have a a door or a like the compact mirror, right? The television yeah. screen, the doggy yep. door, right? It, it must be a portal of sorts. It can't exactly. be like a controller, you know, it has to be no. a- it couldn't be like a piece of paper. Right. Um, I think that my initial thought, and perhaps I'm biased because I'm I'm sitting here, my, my initial thought is a monitor. You know, I, I think about the fact that I stream, that I play a lot of video games, that I, you know, like my initial thought is a computer monitor. Yeah, none, no gym related paraphernalia has an opening through which there would be a portal. So I, I have a thought for you, Alan, if you don't me, have one. Me Go too. Ahead. No, okay, sure. No, I have, I, have a, I have a genuine one. No, I like, I, I don't. I'm, I'm my, that sure is my lack of certainty on what I would give myself. Mm. It's not, not any sort of lack of certainty or confidence in your ability to choose one. I have supreme confidence in both of you. I was thinking a pot, I was, like a big uh, pot of water for cooking. I was thinking an oven, open sure. the oven door. Yeah, so we were Sim on the same similar, wavelength. Similarly themed. Something yeah. cooking related. Hmm. Yeah, okay, cool. We'll go with, we'll go with a, a cooking implement. Let's just do like a microwave that opens. Sure. A microwave. You you cook all the time with yeah, if impressive anyone, things, and you want yeah, to go. Or like, or I like can the, use a microwave. The Alan. big green egg, like you open the Ooh, big green egg. The big and green egg. A, sure, the big green. Egg. I was choosing a convenient cooking implement that is just like it's easy to pop right in and out. Like you don't I, have no no preheat required. I just but, want to really show up to Molly's point. It's sort of your introduction. I want. I don't want anybody to be like, oh, he microwaves food all the time. He no, loves that. He loves that packet ramen. Although the microwave is magic, so. it is. It is. It I, truthfully, it is magical. Uh, but I think you're the big green egg. All right, cool. Big green egg. Molly, what's yours? Hickory. I guess mine needs to be a phone, huh? Like a uh, like a cell phone. Probably. I think mine needs to be an iPhone. Yeah. Because I use that son of a gun quite a bit. 
quite you a bit. You do. It's it's that or the I mean the makeup kind packed. I really liked that too. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's probably the phone because I'm you know film a lot of stuff on the phone, mm-hmm. run the run the socials on the phone. Yeah, I think I think the iPhone. What what would yours be, listener? Think about what your portal would be, and and you know let us know. Yeah, I'm curious. Yeah, where the fuck was Barnabas in this scene? He They've got there. all the no 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 no. There is a he whole died. to do about him not being there as all of these aliens are there causing a ruckus. Oh yeah, because he because I keep thinking to myself like because he keeps being like I have to pick one of you to go with, and I'm like Barnabas. Yeah, like, Barnabas no, is the one. There's no other choice. Yeah, so Barnabas is not present in this scene. The the creepy aliens are in the clubhouse. They all exit the clubhouse, gather together. There is then like this sort of shudder and the aliens start to freak out and leave. As the aliens start to freak out and leave, then Barnabas enters the scene and he's like, oh no, I'm too late. A thode has arrived. And that is like, what's a thode? And then you see the aliens jump out into their own individual portals and like, thodes are snatchers. They are here to look for specimens to take with them back to their lair. Apparently, Thodes, Barnabas is now David Attenborough. We immediately like, okay, Thodes are kidnappers. Right off the rip. Not great. Because they don't give you a choice of which planet you go back to. You just snatched, son. Like, you just gone. And they snatch... Jay. They Jay? snatch the little... Yeah, the little brother. Jay. Jay. And Gilbert is completely unbothered. It's his younger <laughs> they brother. Take, they take his younger brother, Jay... And Mike is sort of bothered by this, but Gilbert has no reaction at all. He is, he could not care. <coughs> Literally that, I think that's. Max is, Max is being snatched. He's being snatched as we speak. <laughs> oh no, oh, oh no, no come back Max, no! No, no Max, the phone got him. There's a tongue. <laughs> There's a tongue, oh, that is true, it is how that works. So, oh, got him back. <laughs> huh. I, I fought out of the I was more lane. bothered about you getting snatched than Gilbert was. Much, yeah, yeah. yeah, no kidding. I, I, I stole a key and I waved it around in weird directions and it opened the door. It, it's <laughs> here you are. Thank God. Thank so, God. yeah, Gilbert unbothered by his younger brother being taken. This is when we learn it's his younger brother. And then they're like, well, the Thode wants to take the perfect specimen from every planet. And everybody immediately is like, Scott is the guy. So let's commit another B&E <laughs> and get they into Scott's home B&E. while he's sleeping. Pig mask. It is so unsettling. <laughs> but also frog fingers. It's like He has like weird fingers so and a pig bad. mask on. And I Scott... Hate- agrees like (laughs) okay this was my i know you loved the showdown western floppy disk situation earlier i did yeah this next scene is one of my favorites because they get scott and they explain to scott what's going on and they're like we need you to be the bait for this monster to come back so we could follow him through the portal to his planet to go rescue jay be and, the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, and Scott's like, why would I do that? And Mike is like, because you're human, because you care, because you're perfect, and because, dramatic pause, I dare you. Oh, got him. I mean, and how could you back down from dare? And I loved it because it was just so, like, middle school to, like, 
risk it all because somebody dared you to. Like, yeah. <laughs> Everything works in this movie and there's no conflict at all because here's the school bully and they're like, hey, we need you to come be our bait because you're the perfect human and you're just going to do that. And he's like, yeah, all right. I know. It's so funny because it's it would be one thing if they were like, we need you to come help us fight this guy because you're big and strong and on the football team. But they're literally like, we need you to just be the bait. Yeah. We need you to just be the sacrificial lamb for an alien. And he's like, yeah, even I don't though, like I don't like you, but sure, I'll do it. Yeah, even though I've been a huge dick to you <laughs> yeah, multiple like, times, uh, I need you to do this like pretty major favor for me. And he's like, all right. All right, I'm yeah, in. Yeah, sounds I'm good. I'll do well, it. you dared me, so I guess. I got to do it. I but can't did, turn down a dare. Did they ever like figure out that it was Scott that sabotaged the dance? Because I, one of the other ways Unresolved. that Mike baits him, pun intended, is like, you owe me. And it's like... For what? You don't know that he did it. Or if you yeah, do, that was never no established. Idea. Yeah, you have no idea. And we will get after, after Scott, jumping ahead just a little bit, after Scott gets captured as the bait, and he ends up with Jay, who's also been captured in a weird recreation of the backyard, because that was a convenient set they already had. Um, <laughs> he then, Jay just sits down and's like, has Mike ever told you the story of the aliens that he wrote? And he proceeds to tell Scott this whole nerdy ass story that Mike wrote about uh, uh, definitely not Superman. And Scott, again, not being a dick, is like, it sounds like Mike might have written that about himself because he doesn't feel included. And I was like, yeah, bro, like <laughs> you're the bully. I you've seen quite empathy. Like you have empathy. I I'm just I don't know, man. It, it, I'm there, so <laughs> perplexed by the writing of villains in these movies. It's I'm so just bad. Scott gets taken by the Thode. They all follow the Thode in through his portal, and they find themselves in the prison, which the Thode calls the soup. That's not a lie. I wrote that down because Barnabas says that the soup. He like, said the soup. zoo. Didn't oh, I, th I thought he said soup. I thought he said, I thought he said, this is the zoo or you all might call it a prison. And I wrote, zoo that's the sense. same thing. Zoo makes more sense. I wrote a zoo down. is just a prison for, for animals. animals. Yeah. Like right. it's because the whole thing is that he gets species from across the galaxy and then keeps them on display, much like the collector in oh, he's the Guardians collector. of the Galaxy. Maybe, uh, you know, there are Marvel fans that watched this and... Uh, well, they already ripped they, off Superman, so we yeah. know they like that comic book. Why not get a Marvel one, too? Yeah, why yeah. get the collector? And I, I wrote down, what if this entire movie was just a... <laughs> long haunting allegory about the controversial nature of zoos and aquariums. <laughs> God, that's a long, the long, original, the original blackfish, right? Like, it was all this a long movie play. Is the original blackfish. God. It was all a long game to get you to question the ethical nature of zoos and whether or not you should visit Disney's Animal Kingdom. Oh, God. <laughs> Which opened the year before. Yeah. Yep. Some writer was like, I didn't agree with that decision, so I'm going to slip this into Canada. Damn it, Joe Rody. We're going <laughs> to... Not a zoo, huh? I'll show you a zoo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're wandering around this zoo, and they eventually meet 
the alien that Mike had written his story about. So puzzling. (laughs) This will never get resolved, and I am so confused by it. It is inexplicable. I don't like it. Also, I just feel like when they named these aliens, somebody was not trying very hard because all the aliens are called like just sounds most of them like the bun bum bum bun, the bum the bomb the yeah. bomb and then the thode and then now we just have the hazel like what like what? none of these words <laughs> what is <laughs> like, the implication of this alien being there is it like because this is the <laughs> alien creature that mike wrote his his made-up superman story about it <laughs> What is the? Like, I don't like, what know. Is real? It, it was he a hazel child that was shipped off, and he's actually <laughs> an alien. How would he know about this alien species? Did it visit him sometime? Was he been abducted before? I don't know. I'm so bad. What is the implication of this creature being here? Yeah, was there like an ancient? scroll about the hazel that mike found somehow and that's how he knows and then eventually he will interact with him right he gets the key from the thode and before he lets out his friends he's like guys i have to do this yeah he i have to visit the alien creature from my story he pulls a spider-man in most recent spider-man movie and has to free everybody right and he is communicated with telepathically, I think, is the implication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the Hazel tells him how to open it. And then after he opens the door, the Hazel just looks at him and then trots away. <laughs> in his, in his uh, jogger suit. He's got like a mall walking jogger suit on. It's, he's like, it's, he's from Xenon. He's wearing the same outfits that wearing, they wore in Xenon. And no, la- no words spoken. He just nope. looks at him and it's like, I inexplicably wrote a story about you. What could this mean? And the creature just goes, well, whatever. And then just hops away. <laughs> they, they capture the thode momentarily, get the key, let out the hazel, then let out their friends. And then they book it to try to get away from the thode out of the zoo. I got to say that Barnabas comes in with a hell of a line because he says, hell hath no fury like a thode scored. <laughs> God. I couldn't believe they said that. <laughs> They, they all make it out of the Thodes Zoo, but Barnabas and Mike are late because Mike has to do the weird key motion thing over all of the control room, which he just apparently knows will let everybody else out for some reason. There's no, nothing that would tell him that other than no, the plot, script. No, plot exposition dog told him earlier. Oh. He, as well, they walked past that weird, like, rock, crystal rock thing, Barnabas is like, Oh, all the creatures like are crystallized in here. Like he like tells him that that's where he everybody's like, the control like, key. I don't know, but Barnabas does attempt. He, I, know. I also got that from Barnabas. Okay, fair enough. Maybe Barnabas. I just missed that. I just well, heard what it's a didn't make sense key. to me is that he had to go to Hazel and his friends' cells individually, and then <laughs> he went. Just, yep, and then he went and we, yeah. um, release everyone yes. like he also, that. He could have skipped a step. Probably could have just gone just to the crystals. straight yeah. to the crystals. Like that, that, uh, again, that was my next point. It's like, why? I also want to point out the Thode's tongue was unsettling because the Thode's tongue is how he grabs you. 
And it's like Michael Jordan's arm at the end of Space Jam. (laughs) Like, it's just this weird, As long long, as it needs to be. Yeah, as long as it needs to be weird, long, like, rubbery thing. And it just, like, grabs you. And it makes gross noises. And it, once again, keeps the recurring theme of mouths are gross in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So they make it out. The Thode is cooked behind in transport. Barnabas calls the galactic police and is put on hold. <laughs> Which True. is well, okay. Uh, the Thode comes out and tries to pull Mike back into the zoo. His friends are playing galactic tug of war with the Thode and his tongue as the rope. And then suddenly the galactic police arrive just in time. And I want to pause for a moment here. Because the Galactic Police does utter a great line, put your tongue where I can see it, which is just stellar <laughs> writing. Chef's kiss. That's what she said. But, ooh, yeah, it is. Or not. Uh, or not, yeah. Uh, Wink. Did you notice that the Galactic Police... <laughs> oh, just, you know, I just immediately thought about our, uh, our, our fish head lady in that moment. Mollus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Did you guys see the siren? That was embedded as if the galactic police officer was born with the siren in his head. (laughs) Like as if this is a galactic police because you are born as a species of alien that is a police alien. The siren's a part of his body. (laughs) Well, you're either going to be a cop or or ambulance (laughs) or or a construction crew. You know, like you... You're gonna need a light siren somehow. It's it like I. It took me a minute, and I was I just looked at. It, I was like, "That's his anatomy." I was too busy wondering because they're back on Earth during this whole scene. I was too busy wondering how the fuck they weren't waking anyone up because they're loud and like, mm-hmm. how are the parents not coming out? How are the neighbors not coming out? How are the Earth police not coming out? They are screaming, and nobody cares. Ultimately, the space galactic police takes the Thode into custody because a warrant has been out for his arrest for some time. The, the, the group is unified together to share the story to the galactic police of what has occurred. I got to say, though, this made me laugh out loud. The gross booger lawyer alien is the lawyer for the Thode. And it was cracking me up. He's like, yeah, he didn't no. read you his rights. You, you don't know anything. Don't say a word. And it like. It, that did make me laugh that they put him back in. It's oh. good they called Dan Newland. Cuts to the next day. We're back at the uh, with Mike warming the bench at the football game, having some some conversation sort of mentally with himself, silently being pensive. And Barnabas appears and is like, "Hey, bro, if you would like to still leave, I can take you." And Mike. At this point, thank God, realizes that his his life is pretty, his ish is okay. Like, he's living a pretty good life. There's really no conflict other than what's in his brain. And is like, nah, fam, I'm good. I'm going to stay. Barnabas invites Mike to pet his head behind the ears. Scratch behind his ears, specifically. And then he makes some sexual noises. Yes, he does. (laughs) Barnabas... Makes some sexual noises as he gets scratched <laughs> behind the ears, and that's probably the most uh, like uncomfortable I've been. Yeah, was watching this child yeah. scratch behind this dog's ears as he went, "Oh, mm. that is nice." <laughs> I hated it. Uh, I hated it so much. I didn't like it. 
Oh. Right there. Are <laughs> <laughs> uh, <Hi> there? <laughs> oh my god! Oh, I it was, hate it so it much. It was so bad. God. So after that uncomfortable sexual encounter, Barnabas leaves. Mike gets called out to play. He continues to have a conversation. Uh, gets gets dog piled on by the rest of the team because he's still shit at football. Yeah. That hasn't changed. And he has a reconciliation with Scott. Again, not a bad guy. Not a bad guy. Uh, the, the, the hero of the film. I know I played football because of this comment. Nobody's wearing mouth guards. That's true. Not a single football player is wearing a mouth mm. guard. And I was like, this, I understand why for film and television, why this is a thing. But like, wow. Feels unsafe. Feels unsafe. For, for when we have roller skaters wearing every pad known to man. But not buckling their helmet. But not buckled. Uh, you know what? Maybe the maybe the mouth guard is the buckle of a helmet in this film. That's... The film then resolves. Everybody is closer together. The cheerleaders are literally, they have created a cheer for Mike Pillsbury. M-I-K-E Pillsbury. And I also have to say, Mike says something to Scott, like, maybe I'll get him next time or something. And then Scott says back, dream on Pillsbury. And he goes, I will dream on Scott. I will. And I was like, and that's like the last line of the film. Like deep, what the deep. <laughs> nice. <sighs> will dream on. I will. Yeah, yeah. Just like Aerosmith told me to. Yeah. <laughs> I just dream until like, a dream again, come true. No one was like telling you not to dream. Like that wasn't, <laughs> no one ever once told you not to tell your stories, not to use your vivid imagination. In fact, you're encouraged throughout the entire movie to like use your vivid imagination. The hot girl is like, literally tell me about your Dungeons and Dragons game. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is, you are given the platform, my dude. And that no one is, listens to me. No one even knows Just who I once, am. someone listened to me. Bro, all anyone's been doing is listening to you. They're literally when listening I was to your fan a young fictions. Boy, yeah. My father took me into the city. Yeah, this he, is a soundtrack. He's playing a little MCR. See a marching like, band. So yeah, that's how we wrap Can of Worms. What a wild ride that was. I felt kind of nonplussed. I was like, what did I just experience? I was revolted by some of the aliens. But I am curious as to your ratings of this film i i actually legitimately enjoyed watching this i thought it was insanity and very poorly written but i did enjoy it so i don't think that it was certainly not xenon good but also not bad i think i'm gonna give it a 6.3 i'm gonna give it a little higher but not much i think i'm gonna give it like a 6.6 Cause I also really enjoyed watching it, and like I hadn't seen this one before, and I felt I laughed out loud multiple times at Same. how like ridiculous it was. I thought it was paced well. I thought it was like I really liked Barnabas, like I said, and yeah, I like it was like tropey and campy, but it it didn't. It felt like that was on purpose more than some of the other times. It feels like they're trying to be serious, and it you, you, it's a decom. Who are yeah. you? Um, but I I enjoyed watching it. I don't know that I need to watch it again anytime soon, but. I enjoyed my viewing. Yeah, I'm, I I kind of follow suit. Mine's a little bit lower than both of yours. I'm going to give it a six, just sort of flat six. It may and three. It is above average because it made me actually feel an emotion in a time or two. I never felt bad for Mike. I just felt like Mike was was there, floating in the current of his own making, and everybody else around him tried to be uplifting. It, it was it was a good. I'm not going to say it was a great movie, but it was like 
an above average decom. I never have to see it again, mainly because the booger lawyer is incredibly disturbing. And I don't like he, I will dream about that tonight, but at least like there was an element of the film that I will remember and I won't, you know, it won't be like a Nazi joke from under wraps. Right. So I would, however, love to read you a review from IMDb about this film. So consistently, there is not a 10 rating. There is no 10 out of 10 on IMDb. Uh, no, that's not true. I think there's one 10 out of 10 for this movie on IMDb. Ow. Um, however, the one I'm going to read for you is a 2 out of 10. Oh. And it says, what on earth? And it's, I have no idea what convinced the makers of this movie to make it. But this was the strangest, most disgusting, most bizarre movie, bizarre movie I have ever seen. The idea of a kid being an alien and not knowing it and then sending a message to space for them to come and get them strikes me as odd. The acting was poor, and the script sounded like it had been written by a 10-year-old. I give it a two. I like how to the point it is. I'm glad they didn't give us a summary of the film. I know, that's Unless my Alan favorite. Unless Alan just added that's it That's my favorite. Alan. You know what? I, I lied. I'm going to read you a ten, the, ten, the 10 out of 10. I'm going to read you the 10 out of 10. I'm mentally scared and happy is the title. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) It was so amazing that it scares me. It's bad, but definitely a great bonding experience if you like making fun of movies. The extraterrestrials do get a little creepy, but that's about it. It's like being high without being high, and it's a journey. And let's not forget the 1992 terrible graphics that make it immaculate. All over, it's pretty much only good if you're watching it with other people or you have an hour and 42 minutes to spare. It's like you're high without being high. That's right. That, and it's you know, only good if you're with other people, but 10 out of 10. But 10 out of 10. <laughs> In maybe, that instance, it's a 10 Maybe out of 10. it's like one of those things where our personal viewing of cats was a 10 mm, out of 10. That's true. But, it was. But none of us would give that movie a 10 out of 10. Speak but the for yourself. <laughs> Give me the butthole cut and I'll consider bumping up my rating. (laughs) Show me the buttholes, you cowards. That is Can of Worms. Molly, Max, what an experience. I loved it. You know what we have next week? The 13th year. I'm excited about this one. I watched that one quite a bit growing up. uh, I'm excited to get away from the space theme for a little bit. I have so many thoughts about the 13th year. I know who's the most excited about it of the three of us, though. It ain't I me. I have so many thoughts about the 13th year. I'm I'm also here to tell you that I don't have any recollection of watching this movie as a kid. So this is my, this will like to be my first viewing. Well, won't be my first viewing. <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Oh, I can't wait. Wait a minute. This, I might have seen this. No, never. You know what? I, I'm going to be surprised in the moment. I loved it. Hey, if you enjoyed it, please rate and review the podcast. Follow us on all of the socials, whether it's Instagram, TikTok, or uh, YouTube. And we will see you next week for the 13th year. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you then. See you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.